0: Hello and welcome to season four of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling more confident with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TBD Conference. The theme this season is the real future of work. What's really going on with the world of work under the hood, what's changing, what's not being said. We're checking assumptions, checking in on ourselves and also the future. I spoke with an amazing array of people from Dan Pink to Harvard University professors, TikTok superstars, data specialists and generational experts, all live on Twitter Spaces. What follows is a recording of that space, so it's more conference call than podcast booth. Sponsors are incredibly important to me, and I am proud to say Ecology are back, and they planted a tree for every live listener we had. We're over 15,000 trees in the TBD forest now, and you can start planting your own over at Ecology.com. That's spelled E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot Workplace by Meta also came on board this season. Their familiar features help everyone work together in new ways and whatever you bring to work to help you be you, Workplace celebrates it. To make your place of work a great place to work, visit workplace.com forward slash human. Check it out. It's very, very cool indeed. Make sure you never miss a moment of Mouthwash by signing up for the newsletter over at mouthwashshow.com and you can also get a text alert over at mouthwash.norby.live. Very handy for busy people. Check out all those links in the description too. As with All Good Podcasts, please share it on a network you trust and leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TVD Conference. The conference attendees say, is like Ted, without the bullshit. We're flipping up this season, we're live Tuesdays through Thursday. you get the same amount of Mouthwash, don't worry, just spread over the middle of the week. It's a reflection of the times and changing real world of work, which is the theme for the season of Mouthwash, the real future of work. This season we are exploring what's working, what's not, we're checking assumptions, checking in on ourselves and also the future. I wanna know what's really going on under the surface, where it's all going and how we're gonna get there. I have an amazing cohort of people joining me this season from multiple bestselling authors like Dan Pink to brand new startups who are creating new models for the metaverse. I'm also discussing the future with experts from Harvard University, behavioral psychologists uh, and TikTok superstars um check out the full lineup and previous episodes of mouthwash over at mouthwashshow.com that's mouthwashshow.com or one word Uh, and i'm proud to say we are sponsored again this season this time by the folks over at workplace by meta Uh, whatever you bring to work to help you be you workplace celebrates it their familiar features help everyone work together in new ways to make your place of work a great place of work you can visit workplace.com forward slash human that's workplace.com forward slash human check it out it's very cool they have lots of resources there and you can find out lots more about your corporation as well um ecology are also back to plant a tree for every live listener in the space uh the tbd forest is going gangbusters at the moment it's over fifteen thousand trees strong so if you're looking to reduce your or your business's carbon footprint, check out ecology.com and you can start planting your forest today. That's ecology.com or ecolog OK, now is a great time to share the space if you're in it live, listening live. Click the round blue plus button at the bottom right hand side of your screen and tell the world that you have found something good. Not only does that feel good, but you'll also plant a tree, as I mentioned before. And I think you'll agree that's no bad thing. So, yeah, hit that blue plus button, let people know that you're in there and get some more people in. Uh, also if you want to ask a question at the same time, just DM me or use #mouthwashshow Mouthwash Show hashtag and we'll pick it up from there if you want. You can click the blue uh lots, what do you call it, hashtag at the top, and um that will create a tweet and you don't even have to do much. It's very simple. They're making it very simple for us. Okay, Dok, on to um tonight. Joining me um all the way from San Francisco is Rima Boschenitsen. Uh, founder and CEO of Dialogue and that's a strategic advisory that works with the big guns of the Fortune 50 to 100 or 1000 even. Uh, Rimmer and the team help change perceptions, behavior and engagement and they add value back to companies and build on what they have already. Um, that's also another part of Rimmer or the collective. It's a pop-up think tank where she uh, brings together a diverse range of people uh, and they think differently to create innovative uh, strategies and thinking and just sort of pontificate and try and do things differently, but obviously with a business angle at the end. Um, previously to Dialogue, uh, Rimmer has worked for the likes of Apple, ASOP, Craft food, Lyft, uh, Levi, Chevron, and that's just a few of them. Um, it's all to do with human capital arm of Deloitte when she was there. She regularly contributes to Forbes and talks about the intersection of human connection and business. If you haven't read her work, go to Forbes and check it out. It's very, very good. Um, she's on the boards for uh, Headland Center of Arts, uh, SF Moment, lots of other things. Um, I can't thank her enough for joining us. Um, welcome to Mouthwash Rumour. What did I miss out of your bio?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I think you covered it all pretty well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay.
0: I ask everyone, what's the first thing you thought of when you woke up today? Oh,
1: I <laughs> I thought about my meeting with my astrologer, which happened earlier this morning.
0: <laughs> oh, into astrology! I would have not picked that for you. And was it a good <laughs> meeting?
1: Isn't that how you tell the future?
0: Oh, I don't know. I've heard so nah. many things. But, um...
1: <laughs> no, that was the first thing I thought about. And then, uh, and then you know, the morning began.
0: Oh, very cool. Okay. Nice way. To... I've never had that before. So that's a first. Love it. Um, <laughs> this season's all about the future of work, as you know. What's your current situation when it comes to work? Are you back at an office, co-working, or have you always been remote?
1: yeah i know. you know we're a distributed team so we've got people in la and san francisco and new york um and sometimes in, in in different countries as well so we're we've never really had an office that we all went to every single day so this has been for us as a team very easy to transition mm. um and now we're keeping it distributed in this way and we have we do have an office space that we work from in san francisco but it's more a place to meet and less about being in an office
0: ah, i'm going to talk about that a little bit later so how many of you are there at the moment
1: there's are six of us and a few more probably coming on very shortly.
0: Very cool. Nice. Always good to hear people growing. Um, mm-hmm. When we think personally or professionally, what's been your biggest learning over the last two or three years?
1: Ooh. Um, I would say that, tr- that I think transformation is not linear, that being in a grey area is actually really healthy. Um, and riding that ambiguity and that sort of discomfort is actually the work and and um, it continues to be the work because we never arrive we're always in motion and being comfortable with that motion is really really important for to just be resilient
0: oh I like that we, I've spoken a lot about resilience in the last season and TBD this year as well and TBD last year was the theme um, and it's one of those areas where I think three years ago, if people said, are you resilient? They'd be like, yeah. And now I think people really know if they are or not, or they know how they can increase it, because I think everyone's been talking about it, but not just that, they've gone through it. So I think mm-hmm. it's definitely one of those areas. And I love that sort of working in the grey zone is quite a nice sort of phrase, just to sort of have. I can see that on T-shirts and things. Um, <laughs> tell me about Dialogue. It's an experiential platform for scaling human intelligence. Break mm-hmm. that down. What do you do and for whom?
1: Totally. So this is it's it's funny where we just went through a, a whole kind of um, uh, I wouldn't call it a rebrand, but a, re- a new way of talking about the work that we do. So we mm-hmm. we we're, we're, we're strategists. We advise um, executive leaders and help them think about um, the cross sector forces that are acting on their business, and then help them translate translate that into meaningful growth. And sometimes that looks like um, positioning our our clients as knowledge experts in particular topic areas, like. Uh, we did something with with Tata a years a few years ago on artificial intelligence and the future of work and positioning their CEO. And that looked like a forty page white paper that we kind of developed on his behalf. Um that sometimes also looks like a thought leadership platform. Um, it also may look like a strategy and a deck and and um, or a um, some sort of creative uh, asset that the organization needs to sort of help them. Help them bring into motion the things that we've been talking about, but the core of our work is really looking at um, how might we look at ecosystems that are different from our clients, and how what can we learn from those ecosystems and bring them into the strategy. And we do that by hosting think tanks that we curate um, globally um, and bring together. You know, we've had like the likes of Tony Blair in our in our um, think tanks to regular human beings that are doing really interesting work that may not have the fame, but are doing really like their research is, is, is super impactful. So for us, it's not about um, the names, it's really about the work and, and and bringing forth the most interesting and, and uh, cross sector really, truly, like, how do we connect the nodes? How do we connect the dots for our clients, because they are so focused on their business, that they can't necessarily see beyond. And so oh. we help with that.
0: I love that. I like that you make yeah. a distinction between Tony Blair and regular people. I like that. I think that's good. You like that, yeah? I can uh, appreciate yeah. it as well. <laughs> oh, I, I, I know he would. <laughs> um, sounds like dialogue's got a lot to do with analogous thinking and bringing different worlds together and see how they can fit, maybe you know, fully or differently, and that sort of thing. Is that fair to say?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. OK,
0: so I wrote about that in Disruptive Technologies and it was it was new for a lot of people and I've spoken about it since um, to a couple of businesses. Why don't you think more businesses think like that and use analogy in order to grow and, um, you know, innovate?
1: You know, the more that I'm, the more that we do the work that we do, the more I realise how, um, how hard it is for people to think in this way. Um, you know, for me, for a long time, part of like recognising our value prop was also getting really comfortable with the fact that, we well, with my own superpowers. and I think um, what I'm learning is that not everybody thinks like me, and actually, what we bring to the table is super unique. and so so when you have um, people that think differently that are maybe more linear or more operational or more, even in innovation process, innovation in and it of itself sometimes can be very linear or in, depending on the organization that it's taking place in and what the the leaders of of that innovation group might be able to might be allowed to do versus not. Um, I think it's just hard for people to to sometimes see beyond the work that they do because either they don't have permission or they don't have the skill set and so Ooh. the and I and I also think that if we go back hundreds and hundreds of years of how we've how our education systems have evolved, it may very well be that we as a species were evolved to connect and be relational I think that's probably very true but how we've been um, Positioned in our indes- in the, through the industrial revolution and, and uh, movements previous to that and how the education systems formed to serve the societies that were you know that we've all lived in over the past hundreds of years. I think our thinking actually like evolved maybe into a different into a different way. You know, and could we have all been thinking this way? Yes, maybe. But now that we're you know now that we've got all these things, we have to reprogram ourselves to do that. And some people are more malleable, and some are not, and some are still born to be able to think this way. Um, So I think to the extent that we can be catalysts in the thinking and partners in the thinking with our clients, um, it's really about just expanding and contracting, but mostly expanding their, their periphery, and then allowing them to make the right decisions, because naturally, they are the ones that know vertically, you know, like, they're the experts in the work that they do, we're just there to sort of empower and, and propel that forward.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounds like you give people a lot more view on what's possible, and then say, "and these are probably the best options," and then sort of give it back to them and say, "what, what, you know, up to you, sort of like do or or here's how we do it, that sort of thing." It, it sounds fascinating, and I would love to participate in think tank. Just got to get my butt over to uh, San Francisco whenever you do them. Um, no, we, we do it
1: virtually now. Now, thank you to COVID. Oh, okay. like we, Yeah, I mean, so you can join anytime.
0: <laughs> oh, I'd love to. Uh, how is that different when you do it in person virtually?
1: It is. I mean, the only I mean, I'd say there's a a few different things. I mean, um, when we do it virtually, obviously, we don't have the we know we can't smell each other, we can't touch each other, we can't really like feel the full energy of the person, you know, in the room, and we don't necessarily have a consistent environment that we're all in that we're experiencing uh, in that same way. So getting people to be at the same frequency so to speak is actually a lot harder um, and takes a little bit longer than normal uh, if we were to be face-to-face when we were doing face-to-face engagements and we're going to start doing them um, again actually very soon um, we actually also designed the environment so for us it was really important for if we were to disrupt thinking or if we were going to change behavior or perception or whatever it is that we were our goals were for a particular session the the environment and how we position it whether it's comfortable uncomfortable um, was very intentional and so and having that control is also really um, not only is it fun but it's also really impactful on the actual outcome of our sessions so it, there's a big difference but I think it's also okay to do it virtually it just depends on you know it's it's about level setting the expectations and also if there's something missing we can um, get at it in a different way I mean It's, you know, it's a workaround, but it also Hmm. works. And I think we've all been very surprised at how well we've been able to connect to each other via zoom and, you know, teams and whatever, um, over the past two and a half years. So I think now also people are just much more conscious of their time and conscious of energy and like, do I need to fly to London to have a think tank? Or can I do it in New York? Or can I do it in San Francisco? I mean, it really depends on the client and what their appetite for for that is and how invested Mm. they are. But we always push for the in-person because that's the best. Um, But we can also get what we need virtually.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I'm I'm putting out there to the universe. I'm fully available to fly to beautiful places and see new things. (laughs) Um, So we're here to talk about culture, workplace culture today. What do you when you think about workplace culture? What does that mean to you?
1: Um, I think, you know, for me, it's a way of behavior, like shared behaviors, shared experiences, shared, um, um, outcomes, or not even, I mean, just ways of relating to one another that is, you know, that is considered the norm for an organization and how an organization embeds their values and their mission in, in each individual and how those individuals come together to work together towards a particular goal. Mm Um, you know, some people look at workplace culture as, you know, how, you know, or how many ping pong tables are there in my office and can I engage with my friends during break? That to me is less about, you know, it's less about culture. It's more about activity and what I like to do at work um, and what's accepted. But I think the culture piece is really about, you know, how do we do it? How do we do what we do? How do we do it on brand for the organization? And do we feel like we belong to the culture that we that has been created and how do we step into it in our fullest capacity? And now after COVID, I think that that fullest capacity and, um, that way of of being together is even more, I think. On you know, there's such a spotlight on it; it's on stage almost more so than anything else. And so, it's really interesting to see how people, how organizations are shifting priorities, shifting um, ways of communication, shifting you know, like um, even hiring practices and 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 those types of priorities as a result of what's kind of come un, un, undone and through our transformation over the past two and a half years.
0: Mm. It kind of feels to me that culture's um, almost this nebulous concept, like we're really talking about emotions, connections, the relationship from a business to the world. And and like you say, effectiveness, right? It's all Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty critical stuff. Why don't businesses do more then when it comes to actually creating a culture? It feels like a lots of PR and spin often, like either Mm -hmm. internally or externally to sort of seem like you're doing something, but they fail to walk the talk if that makes sense
1: yeah
0: why because do you think, think that
1: I, is yeah i, I mean i am it's it's interesting um that that's it's unfortunate that that sort of workplace culture has the that kind of an association to it i think the intention behind it is really important and i think the the unfortunate crux of the whole thing is that the leaders of, of organizations that are that Maybe saying that they're doing one thing, but actually doing something else, are not in alignment, um, and I and are not behaving in the way that like they truly embody the thing that they're trying they're talking about. So there is a lot of that kind of like more pontificating about something, but not actually believing or doing the thing that you know not walking the walk. Um, and so, uh, what I mean, I think the the reason I think the the misalignment and the 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 lack of maybe consistent hiring practices and really communicating to people expectations of them, of how, you know, what what our workplace is, how we want to our teams to come together, what we want to achieve together, and not getting really the right buy-in at the right levels, whether it's early on in the onboarding process and the recruiting process of those executives or any other leader in the organization, or it's just, you know, you, you hire someone because they're, not, you know, you thought one thing and then it ha- ends up being that there's toxicity at the top or there's um again misalignment the alignment piece is just so so big like i think when you have a north star that everyone is really like pow- passionate about and you've got a ceo that truly knows how to lead and it, it comes from top down then those type like the workplace culture really falls into place what people with what people want and how they're already naturally going to fit in and so the most the more natural it is the better it is for everyone but the problem is when these organizations. Uh, you know, some of the major tech companies, unfortunately, and smaller ones too, like when you're trying to hire for the wrong thing, or you think it's going to be one fit, but it ends up being another, then you've got misalignment and miss, like already mistrust in the organization. And so um, sometimes th- that toxicity just trickles down. And then people learn at the mid levels, you know, oh, well, if this person is doing that, and they're at this level in the organization, that must be the right thing to do. And so the whole structure of, you know, of, um, co- of mentoring and coaching and leading in this really healthy way becomes crumbled. Um, so I think, you know, and I also think that's workplace culture, again, like the having food in an organization and like being, you know, having your laundry done and at your office and all of that stuff, that's not workplace culture. That is like things you can get done and, they, and thank you to your workplace for making it easier for you.
0: But yeah, the culture pucks, is really, yeah.
1: culture is really relational. And so it's really about leading. And and being able to overcome transformation and be part of transformation in a healthy way because everything's constantly changing, right? And being comfortable with that. And at the same time, parking your ego. And that goes to like the lowest person in the organization to the highest person in the organization. I Mm -hmm. think that's, you know, one of the things that I've been um, seeing so much of in in, in large corporations, but also at the top, and when the leaders actually engage with um, just you know younger younger uh, younger folks in general, like it doesn't matter what level in the organization organization they are, I think there's you know there's this like cross generational issue that we speak different languages across the board, right? From Gen Zs to Millennials to Gen X um, to even you know some Boomers are still working and they're and they're leading and they're doing amazing amazing work, but relating to like a Gen Z might be harder for them. Um, I think the parking of the ego, as I was saying, is just, it's so important to have self-awareness and not nearly enough people in business have that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of, part of, part of all of this is also being open to that. And I think just to some end, it's becoming very popular and especially over the past, I think three, four years, obviously mental health has been at the center, but that's one aspect of it, or there's, you know, there's a whole other leadership aspect that I think is, is, you know, sometimes it gets overlooked depending on, you know, what the organization values yes. um and, and sometimes i get to your point just to kind of finish off here like uh saying that you're le- like you're supporting leading le- leadership and development and transformation and doing that is actually very two very different things and how that actually gets um accepted and, and implemented in an organization really strongly depends on the on the leaders and their priorities so you know, again, it goes to the top of, like, how, what's your North Star, what's your, what's your, um, what are your va- values, what's your mission, how, how are all the people in your organization aligned to that, are they aligned to that, how do they map between the big goals to the smaller goals, and do they feel like they're accomplishing what they're meant to be doing in the organization, um, and, and are they valued for the work that they do, and how are they valued, because, again, generational, uh, you know, for me as a millennial, Like, I have one way and I'm like a geriatric millennial, but like, I have one way of engaging, but millennials that are younger than me have a different way of engaging. And even I work like on our team, you know, there's people of different ages. And the moment I work with a Gen Z, I'm like, crap, okay, I have to check myself there. I have to make sure I do this. Like, And it's, it's extra, it's totally extra work. And like, on top of the other stuff that we have to do, I mean, I, we just deprioritize certain things, you know, so.
0: Yeah, you've only got so much time in the day as well. But you, you know, some things you have to get right. Other things you can, you know, pick up on day two. You know, if it ever gets to day two, as Amazon's favourite story. Yeah. Um, you mentioned in that answer, um, something that I, I think is quite interesting. Um, you you mentioned specifically when we talk about tech, uh, company culture, and I think there is this sort of like them, not them and us, that it's an animosity relationship, but it is very much like the tech world has their. Corporate cultures and what they think about it. And the rest of us have what I call offices and reality, you know, and that sort of thing. And your, your office culture is on a Friday, we push around a trolley and we get a free bit of biscuits in Google land. It might be you get slides and bean bags, and you get your things done. So I think there's a delineation between perks, but there's also that sort of physical space space to it you know a lot of us have very boring cubicle offices and other Mm -hmm. people get to work in playgrounds you know and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing which is completely fine and it's great for everyone what what i want to know is is corporate culture really there for workers to fulfill something about their own identity or do you think we all want to save the world and change the world and we need a mission statement to get behind
1: Ooh, that's a great question i think it depends on the person um and i think it depends on which generation they're part of um I don't think I think so. mm, hmm. There's it's so it's it's a hard one because it's uh, it really is like a person specific. I think um, more and more people to and more and more um, people at the top because you know millennials are now you know we're like almost forty and over crowd now. um, I think are really mission driven. We are like I think that that's been pretty clear from the very beginning. And I, um, when I started off my career, I can, I can speak for myself in this, in this way. But when I started off my career, I wasn't mission driven at all. I was like, okay, I'm doing this thing is getting me from X to Y, I'm going to be this corporate CEO. And um, how do I get there fastest? And like, 10 years into my career, um, I actually like thought twice about like, wait a second, 85% of my day is being spent at work this better mean something. Otherwise, when I'm 90, I'm going to look back on my life and be like, what have I accomplished? Except maybe I made a lot of money. Um, and that made me pause. So I think, you know, I think it depends on the person. There's so many people that are, that fit into that box of like, I'm just going to retire when I'm 40. So between 22 and 40, I'm going to make as much money as I can. And I don't care if I'm mission driven, um, or I'm just, you know, at work. and I, all I care about is I'm working with cool people and I'm, and I'm getting to the place that I want to be. Um, want to be at. Um, and then there's, I think the people that really do care about the mission, do not really care how much money they make. They just want to know that when they are dead, they're known for, you know, contributing to society in a positive way. And I don't think those two things can, they, they can coexist. Um, I just think it's about also what's being marketed to the individual and what is it that they're being offered when they're joining an organization? Is it, you know, you will find who you are or you will you be able to use who you are in our organization to make to propel the collective work forward. And more likely than not I think people are driven towards that where they do get to accomplish their let's say financial goals and their career goals at the same time as they're also accomplishing other things on the behalf of their organization. I less and less see the two things detached uh, as two separate things and more and more I'm seeing all of the you know people truly want to Create impact. Uh, whether they're working for an impact-driven organization or not, doesn't matter. As long as they're not um, working for the devil. Um, yeah. And even though, and I have to, I do have to say though, I have friends who work for what you know, some companies that we might think are the devil right now. Won't name names. Um, and as long for them, as long as they're doing impactful work that isn't contributing to whatever the organization is is actually like whatever the company is driving in are in, in, in the world, and, but they're like, let's say they're developing leaders in that organization, they're fine because their work is that they're really good at developing leaders. So in hopes of actually having those leaders make the right decisions, they're, if they're a catalyst in that work, then they feel fulfilled. So it's an interesting thing because in this way, they are fulfilling their identity's purpose in a way they're doing it on behalf of an organization, they may believe like one aspect of what they do, but really hate another aspect of what they do. Um, But they're making it okay for themselves because they're fulfilling somehow like their, you know, their dream within that. And probably the money is embedded too, you know, that is a huge factor for people.
0: Yeah, I think people forget that as well, as much as mission statements and sort of perks and everything. Uh, you know are there there's a reality to people's worlds you know you need a certain amount of money to pay the bills you have you know other effects that make those bills more uh, costly at certain times of year and that sort of stuff and i don't think businesses flex with people as much as they should do but i think they are doing it more often and i think to your earlier point and um and the piece that you were in on the information thanks for sending that by the way um it, it highlights that businesses have to think differently about perks and very differently to culture they aren't the same and if you get them mixed up you're at risk of setting bad precedent but also missing the point of having a mission and having a culture that you really want to uh, have to p- push your business forward i think ultimately bad culture can be a big problem for big companies um i'm certainly seeing increased leaking of confidential documents whistleblowing mm. fast leaving people and generally just bad karma going around i think some people call that the great resignation or the great acceleration but really there's something deeper going around people just don't want to feel like they're getting screwed or abused is that fair or do you think it's something else
1: yeah, no, I, absolutely. I do think that people want agency uh, and they want to be part of this, these types of decisions, especially when um, they've traditionally not been, especially when it pertains to their individual, something that's individual to them and something that they feel they should own. I do, I do agree with you. And I think it's something that we need to be talking about because, I mean, more and more, I think technology is allowed for the conversation around technology and its impact has allowed us to... Um, really question intentions and really understand like, what is it that I'm stepping into? What can I actually control versus not? And I think people do want more control. They don't want to kind of um, feel out of bounds all the time. Um, And I think traditionally, like, especially in large organizations, people feel that because they're like, oh, well, I don't know. I guess I'm just going to do this and this and this. And then it'll be fine because this organization isn't going to screw me. Right. And then something happens and they feel completely, you know, betrayed and whatever, in whatever way. So, I mean, and yes, and I, I would say that the trust element um, is huge and creating that trust and building that trust is a huge part of culture and company culture. And I think more and more as we are now, you know, coming out of the pandemic, even though the hybrid work culture is, um, I guess it's going to take shape in, in, in some way, shape or form for some organizations. But I really think it's about when we're working, not how we're working. Um, I think people really want to work the flexibility of working at the time that they want to work. And the trust for that outside of everything else is going to be huge. And then, of course, the the general sort of feeling of um, trust within an organization, within teams, within, you know, um, that there's a mutual respect between the individual and the collective is really important as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting when it comes to culture and trust. It's something that's come a lot, up a lot on this season so far, and I'm sure it will continue um, when when trust does come into a company's culture a lot of what i see seems to be driven by fear and apathy you know that's that's Mm. what drives them rather than like oh i'm really trusted therefore i'll stick my neck out on this block and do things that's definitely not what i'm hearing but what i find really interesting is when people say oh i've never been more trusted you've also as a as a society as a world and that sort of thing we've also never spent more money on surveillance equipment for Mm -hmm. people's computers and things like that so i i'm always tempted to sort of say i think you're sort of Trusting to a point, and you're mm-hmm. outwardly say you're trusting, but actually your actions are saying something different again, and that says something even bigger about your culture. And you've probably just destroyed more trust than you've ever sort of attempted to get. It's um mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's just harder to sort of nail people down and go like, why have you done this? Like, why not fix the problem? You know, you're you're just monitoring a problem, surely. And they can never really give me a, a, a smart answer on sort of why they've done it. It's because they've been talked into it, and they've spent so much money that they can't now not afford to do it. If that makes sense, yeah. It's nuts. It really is. Um, it is. I
1: mean, it, yeah, it's true. It's true. I have. A, I had a friend who left um, a large consulting company recently, and she had. Um, they now put this some sort of technology on their on their laptops that basically tells tells the right people if anything's been downloaded from the general, you know, like from from the 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 files that belong to yeah. the organization, and my friend's like, I've been at this company for 18 years. Like honestly, like I don't need anything at this point. I'm leaving. Um, and it was just really weird to have a get a call from someone saying, You've been online for four hours, we've noticed that there's been files coming out of your, you know, machine. Like, you know, what is what are these all for? And uh I do think like on the one hand, the way I think about it is, well, they have to CYA because there is even though she didn't mean any harm, another person might have. Um but even that right like it's almost like you're as only as good as the files like you know as as the you know the files that belong to to the organizations what those files leave that suddenly like everything falls apart in this case you know i I mean i'm sure there's cases where that is actually very true and breach of 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 trust and and privacy is, is a huge deal especially probably like in the healthcare industry as an example but in this situation to your point like I don't if she even I don't think that she would ever want to go back to this organization, even if they asked her back, because that was such an unpleasant process. It's, it takes the human out of the cent- out of the equation completely and really just puts like the fault or or uh, the premise in, in, in the center, which isn't even, you know, which is is also up to interpretation. And then you've got this whole other, you know, uh, other dialogue that, that can be happening.
0: So oh, it, it's, it's super they're basically funny. saying, are you being a thief? You know? <laughs> it's,
1: right, it's, and you're like it's
0: like you don't no, no, I'm not. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I've I've seen some rough stuff when people exits building and heard this heard some stories, but that that's not uncommon. Like people will get called like that week, and you know they'll be like, um just so you're aware, don't do this, you know, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, it's. A rough one out there. Um let's let's flip it up a bit. We've gone sort of internal. Let's let's think about the external a bit more. How much of a culture is based on the walls that surround people? There's arguments that open plan offices have killed productivity and unleashed it. Um but it can't all be slides and nap pods, or can it? Um where do you think the office nets out as part of our corporate culture?
1: Well, I, I I'm um I, I totally agree with the open plan situation. I think I when I remember when it came to be, and I was like, oh, this is a bad idea. And I'm an extrovert, so I am all about hanging out and talking to people. But I thought that that was like, it really just disturbed, disturbed me. And we actually, when I was working, um, I before I started my company, when I was still in in, um, I worked for Deloitte Consulting for a number of years in my early days of my career. We had kind of an open plan, sort of like very very um open conversational culture and but then there were still some places where you could go privately and really like do the work that you need to do or meet with your team and whatever and be in private. And I I like that. Um, The open plan really like irked me sometimes because that means that people are like walking around and just like watching, thinking, talking, you know, and the productivity for sure for me was was not great. But what what it is good at for is if you know that you need to plug in for a certain number of hours and be present and be in conversation with people that are maybe not on your team. Um, and run into them, that allows for a really nice, like, clear way of like engaging uh, on an as needed basis, but it shouldn't be mm-hmm. the end all and that, uh, end be all. And I think to kind of how I mentioned and how we work, right, we meaning our team works, you know, we have a space where that we use when we when we'd like to be together, or we just want to come in and kind of use it because it's beautiful. And, you know, there's food and and um, a, it's a nice place to have meetings. Uh, but then we choose to you know go in go to our home offices and actually get work done um that to me feels more congruent with where i see uh like workers wanting to go i think that having agency having like really being able to check in with yourself and see what do i need today who do i need to talk to do i really need to be in the office or can i do this from home or do i really need to be home i should probably do i want to be in the office Because some people don't want to be home at all um i think it's really up to the to the individual and having that agency is where we're also gonna be finally moving away from this like nine to five culture, even though it's not really ever nine to five, but like this sort of notion that the day starts in the morning and then it ends in the evening. And then you go home to your family and you have dinner and then you all go to sleep. Like there could be, I mean, my vision for it, at least my desire and how I'm trying to structure my life because I think it's more in rhythm with how I wanna live um, is really like where, when can I be my, like, when can I do have thinking time? When can I have planning time? When can I have engaging time with my daughter? Um, and my family? And when do I feel the best about it? And do I want to do that on a daily basis? Right? Because I could have one day where I'm having only meetings, another day where I'm having nothing, I could just take it off if I wanted to. And then the third day where I'm doing catching up on everything. And then, and that makes me feel, you know, great, because I'm accountable to my team, and I'm giving them direction, It makes me feel good, because my clients are happy, and whatever. But like, do we really need to work? As much as we do, is is, is the forty-hour work week or the eighty-hour work week, whatever people work these days, is that really the the goal, or is it more about working smart and and driving value versus, you know, being somewhere just for the sake of being? So I think I struggle with that a lot because um, uh, I've noticed in myself that I feel programmed to work a particular way that is that stems from my experience in corporate from years 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 past, and at the same time I'm torn because. I think my most productive days are actually days where I'm like half in meetings, like walking meetings with, with with people and or having a coffee or two and then doing like three to four hours of really hands-on work. Um, and that just serves me better. And I know for a fact, people and clients that I've talked to are, are much more, um, just the freedom of being, of, of, to choose what's right for you in that moment, in that day means so much to people. So it'd be interesting to see how, Speaking of trust and how that, you know, how corporations can actually uh, listen to, to what's necessary and then actually implement it and not be succumbed to like a particular, um, um, what do you call it, a particular formula. And the other thing, you know, in that information article, I also was was chatting to the reporter um, about the fact that, you know, it was my perception that like the need to go back to the office is also about reinvigorating our cities and our city centers and to some end, you know, because now there's like 50% less people in city centers, of course, businesses are not gonna be as, as successful. It's gonna drive other economic development issues. Um, and really question, like kind of reckons the question, like, do we need to inhabit cities, period? Like, can we just be distributed? Uh, and does it do city centers actually play the same kind of role they, that they used to? And I think that notion for people is really scary because it also questions the infrastructure of the entire thing, right? And it's a global infrastructure. Um, changes cities to cities, but generally, you know, you've got a downtown, you've got shops, you've got shopping areas, you've got cafes, la, la, la. Um, you've got your, you know, rich areas, porn areas and whatnot. And um, like to what end are businesses making decisions based on the needs of the cities and local governments and how those governments are actually driving decision making in businesses in you know, and, and what stakes stake do they have in those businesses as well. Um and how much of it's actually coming from the CEO and the need for the work to happen in a in an office. So mm. those are the things I feel like that I've been like grappling with myself and also talking to clients about and mentioned in that article um because it's messed up. Like people should have agency. Like where there's enough to your point surveillance and and Um, mistrust in our in our lives that I don't think another thing on top of a thing is going to make anything better
0: no I I agree (laughs) that that piece that you're talking about from the information I I really enjoyed um there was one line from it um it might all be about freedom from company culture Uh, it might just become the most attractive perk of all i kind of like that it's sort of like no do you know what i'm just here for a paycheck and i'd like to leave at five o'clock i kind of like the realism of that for a lot of people you know most people don't you know they don't come in to have bells and whistles you're a paycheck to me and i want to go and live my life and do my my fun things outside of this you don't have to be part of my fun things you know you you are a means to an end i think we need to have a, a as a society a realistic chat about you know, how much rah, 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 do you have to have at work? Or can you be a paycheck person?
1: And I think you can, but to some end, you're still in that organization and the behaviors and the norms of how people, you know, relate to each other are established there. So you could get your paycheck and do an amazing job, but you also have to engage. And I think how you engage is shaped by, you know, the expectations of you as a person. So I think you may choose to opt out of the perks, But the way that you relate to others, unfortunately, if you're, you know, in a, a, I mean, we're all working with people. I I don't know that you can opt out of that.
0: No, definitely. I think the people being, you definitely, yeah, you definitely can't give up on people. (laughs) (laughs) As many, I'm sure many people would like to, but you know, we've got to work together. That's it. We've got to fix things. Um, Speaking of which, um, a lot of businesses might be in the reorder um, phase of the pandemic, um, even though the rates are up in different parts of the world. Um, What advice do you have for leaders and heads of departments right now? Um, They'll never have a better chance to change things that are going on. or, Or is that naive and they should have changed already?
1: No, I think there's still opportunity, huge opportunity. I would just my advice would be to listen and park your ego and park your agenda and just listen to what people are wanting and figure out a a collaborative way of, of um, creating opportunities for people to do their best work and bring out their, 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 uh, their best period. And it's not about necessarily like, you know, collaborative decision making, it's just about really sitting back and and hearing and weeding through the noise and understanding what your direct team needs. And how does that fit into the context of the larger organization? Because I think, Leaders are there to influence, and they're there to protect, and they're there to shape, like shape the the norms and behaviors. And I think um, not enough people take responsibility over that, um, and not enough people communicate um, uh, what's coming up for them as they're hearing like all of the all of the all of the dialogue that's happening. And I think our ability to sort of communicate our truth. In the context of, in, in our needs and our um, our wants for what we see for the future, for the company, for the team, for whatever whatever the thing that you're talking about, is the thing that's going to make other people aware of what needs to happen for you, for you to be successful. And the more that mm-hmm. we articulate, the more that we voice our voice, and the to the extent that our leaders actually respect us and listen to us, um, that will... Whatever you choose to do for your team or for your larger organization will be okay, and it'll work. But the listening piece and then and and really communicating and voicing your your needs, I would say are the two things that are absolutely critical right now.
0: Mm. I want to talk about two more things, I think, before I get to your Desert Island tweets. Um, So Mm. one is about um, all the research I've read on bias, recruiting, the future of work. Um, I'm wondering, cultural fit for organisations, I always hear that phrase, and it seems to be a key area where um, a lot of people uh, could make big changes, but rarely seem to. Um, they hire in essence themselves right Mm -hmm. would you agree that's still happening or is hiring uh, where a company could really sort of start to move the needle
1: i think it varies with the organization and their recruiting practices and how they um the lens through which they're viewing candidates i mean uh i could tell you that um some of, some, some of our clients are hiring people that they probably like their right hands because there's a need for that. There's a need for someone to be the right hand in the organization. And then that is people are, that are like them. I, and I know your reference to like the like, um, in terms of bias and, and all of that. Um, I do think that I also am seeing uh, leaders consciously make decisions based on um, literally having like a spreadsheet with names, uh, qualifications, and then have they met the DI, you know, are they diverse candidate? And Oof. and going through that and like and so there's a lens and a filter over the the general recruiting process of like, okay, uh, you know, is this person gonna meet all of our needs? Yes, oh, and are they by a, a, a diverse candidate? Yes, great. then they're moving forward. And so there's I mean, I think there's first of all, we're human. We're, there's bias all the time. You know this better than anyone. Right, and so I, um, I've seen it done both ways. I think, I think where I feel um, leaders can, again, best bring forward the, their needs and what they're trying to look for is who's the best candidate for this role? What do I need this role? What, what do I need this person for? How are they going to integrate into my team? And what's their life experience, right? Like not about it's not just about the, the resume, but it's also like taking account all the things that are happening in their life. Whereas before, I think we were really strict about, you know, looking at did what school did they go to, what you know, what what can they bring to the business, where they where have they worked, and it was enough, right? And then you know, diverse, non diverse, I, I think it was an, it was important because there's always you know HR always has like a quota, you know, of what needs to be what, what the needs what the hiring needs might be. But yeah. I think now we're actually. Consciously looking at the whole person and their experience their life experience not just their work experience and that to me feels healthier obviously not without its faults and in, in, in different ways but um at least it's going in the right direction and um i do think i do think i, I and i i do think leaders are more conscious about it but i and i think some leaders though are um They're conscious. They still do what they need to do because they know that the person that person is the best for the job. And then they kind of um, hire for other positions in a different way intentionally so that there's a balance on their team so that they don't get questioned.
0: Yeah, I I think that that is a swinging pendulum of a person's experience, who's there already. Uh, what the stack of people that they got through the door to start with and that sort of thing i i don't envy people who are hiring at the moment for multiple reasons but one of the biggest ones is that you know any decision you you make is being put through a lens and that as a leader Mm -hmm. is the ultimate you know that's that's why you get paid you know that's those are the jobs you have to sort of do um it's an important one though and i think more people need to spend more time thinking about it and how they do it and what their makeup looks like for sure mm-hmm. um because it's not helping businesses you know that's at the, at the very part of it you know you don't just sell to a certain demographic you sell to most people that are very different demographics and that mm-hmm. yeah. um okay one i have asked a couple of people but not everyone for different reasons but i want to talk about the source do you know what i mean when i say the source alcohol right Mm-hmm. okay why is there such a connection between work and alcohol still like we'll go out for work drinks or we'll go out for lunch what's your take on that connection is it just like oh i've got to get people drunk so they say yes to me or does it have to be broken or is it something we should foster
1: mm. hmm. um that's a really interesting question um so i think i don't exactly know the like the the evolution of um, drinking as part of um corporate culture uh in terms of like just historical context of like when it started how do we start it how did it get to i mean i know that that was a big thing in the 60s and the 50s probably yeah the business was okay. lunch,
0: wasn't it yeah
1: exactly and i think now we've evolved it into a happy hour and maybe caught and, in and, and but the happy hour happens before dinner time so you go home for dinner time with your family or whatever whoever you live with um i I don't know. I'm,
0: I'm glad you're it's, struggling with it because it's I'm not an easy answer. With,
1: well, because I struggle with it because, um, to me, right now, and in, in, in sort of the, the things that I've been researching over the past six months, um, and this is more on the personal side, is uh, I've been like interested in like alcohol as a mechanism for suppression of emotion. Oh, interesting. and and a numbing, right? And I think whenever we engage in in certain things, I mean, some some things are more are meant to bring out our emotions and our emotional state, like psychedelics, for example, and or you know other ways of like you know uh, accessing different parts of our consciousness. Um, and then I think the alcohol is just alcohol is like a it's a drug that we are we've normalized completely and have used to create opportunities for uh, stress free interaction. With our with with in relationship right to to be in relationship stress free, it's people forget that that's kind of where you know the 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 source of that the source of the source is is in that in some way, and I think some people are have a healthy relationship with alcohol where they're just like oh I love the taste I love a mm-hmm. glass of wine I don't mind having it with a coworker I need it helps me relax and then they go home and they're great. Some people use it as a, as a way to, of completely escaping uh, stressful environments or emotions or whatever. So I think it's a tricky question because it really depends on the individual. And I think um, uh, culturally, it's just, you know, we've normalized many things that are not good for us. Um, but they, you know, they taste good and we enjoy them for us a brief moment and whatever, right? So I, I don't know if, I mean, I would always fear... Um, on the side of like not having alcohol as part of a future of work environment, <laughs> mostly because I think as we're trying to get to to truly getting to know each other, truly relating, truly getting into like these moments where there's connection, there's there's um there's vulnerability there, and that like vulnerability doesn't come out of alcohol, even though that's how it's marketed. It- um, it, it does, it,
0: but in a bad way, usually,
1: doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure. But it comes out of, you know, it comes out of uh, being comfortable and safe. And so if that's where we're trying to head to, if we're really just trying to connect with one another, there's other ways to get us in our bodies to be able to, you know, like truly connect and really much feel much deeply, much more deeply than what we do with alcohol. Um, but I get it. It's fun. It tastes good. We've created a whole industry around it and, um, Sometimes it, you know, I think it's fine, but I don't know if I have a particular answer. And in terms Mm. of, I mean, I'm I'm speaking only from personal experience. And and um, I and I stopped drinking five years ago for for many reasons, but one of them was this: was I did not like the way that it changed me. Uh, Even after a glass of wine, I did not feel like I was more deeper in myself. I felt like I was I didn't feel closer to the people that I wanted to get closer to. Yeah, it was just there to like add calories and then. You know, and I didn't know what the point was. So I
0: stopped. Um, mm. I think a lot of people have. Certainly yeah. the numbers are supporting people as sort of going out and going out less. And when they do go out, they drink less. But if they're at home, they may have um, more units, but they're further spread out. You know, the, the binge drinking of yesteryear hasn't gone out, but also economic circumstances is sort of bringing it back and that sort of thing. So it's a complex issue. And it's obviously geographical and different. I find it fascinating how many businesses push it in their companies Mm -hmm. so it's like friday night trolley and that sort of thing and it's kind of like "Mm, yeah i don't really need that want that and that sort of thing it's like we you should be able to get close to a co-worker on a different level without the need to have a drink or you should create an environment that isn't stressful enough that you need to have alcohol in it so that you can bear to stand around people for another hour it's kind of an interesting sort of like dichotomy but it is a fascinating elliot i think we have an interesting culture of it here in the uk and i dare say in the us i've i've lived over there for what seven years so and I can say I've, I've seen a lot of alcohol drinking offices, yeah. But, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but interesting. Um, no,
1: totally. I, I would just say one thing on that is that mm-hmm. um, if companies are going to push it just from a cultural, whatever, whatever the reason is, then give people the space to say no, you know, and then be able to like actually feel good about that. Because the, the last thing you want is that for people to feel pressure that they have to do this thing to be to be accepted into a culture. Yeah, that would be the only thing, especially if you're pushing mindfulness and like, you know, mental health as a, as a value. And it's something that you're like offering, you know, as a perk to your to your uh, employees. And then you then you're like trying to, you know, <laughs> sell them wine on the side or, or give them yeah. wine on the side. It's, it doesn't it doesn't it's not congruent. So to your point about, you know, saying one thing and doing another, it's, yeah. we have to be careful.
0: Have a non-alcoholic version um, would be a good one. Mock t- mocktails are, you know, exactly. available available everywhere. Um, from booze to the metaverse, I guess. Let's go there. Why not? Um, I'm uh, interviewing a company called Hundo um, later on in the season. They're helping young people build careers and new business models in the metaverse. What's your take on the metaverse and the future world of work? Uh, I'm asking everyone this season. Um, are we going to be avatars floating between virtual offices or do you think it's still good to buy stock in Zoom?
1: Yeah. <laughs> i think there's space for both i'm actually really excited to see what the metaverse can do for um, both company culture and how we think about community within organizations um i think the DAOs could be a really powerful tool um to you know for different for various different things uh both from strategy for for business to to strategy for people's transformation and people and talent management and all of that so i think there's uh, a lot and i do think like i mean our future is moving towards towards the metaverse it's pretty clear that that's the direction i wouldn't even be surprised at that you know in the next four or five years that you know digital currency will be the only thing that we're that will be allowed to use um, in terms of just the one aspect of 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 the metaverse but so i think we got to get on board and i think we have to get creative and i think companies could use this this as an opportunity to do mini experiments um controlled experiments and um, and, and really like start positioning themselves as, as leaders and, and thinking around how it would impact the industry they're in, the the business, the in, internal business that they're in in terms of the people business of an organization, and and how that translates outward as well. So that's my take on it. i'm'm I'm, I'm bullish on it.
0: No, I like that, I like that um, Okay folks, we end as ever with Desert Island Tweets uh, The part of Mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or 2 that's changed his or her or their mind in some way So if you turn your attention to The Nest If you're listening live You will see a tweet up there by a gentleman, a gentleman called Jonathan Hait. I hope I'm saying his name's right H-A-I-D-T And if you want to fo- uh, follow him on Twitter It's John, J-O-N, H-A-I-D-T J-O-N, H-A-I-D-T And uh, Jonathan is a social psychologist He works at NYUC stern he uh works in the sort of uh moral and political psychology and business ethics arena i followed him for a number of years but actually i didn't realize that until you sent me this tweet um and that's sort of the, the account so um the tweet reads um read in the early 2010 something changed in the wiring of society and things got weird first on campus then everywhere i've been struggling to understand it writing a series of four articles for the atlantic and then he kicks off and he does a thread on it and that's sort the of thing why, why did you pick this one Rima?"
1: i so i i did i pick this one is the question or did i send you um
0: or was it just the account
1: oh it was just the account it was the account because i didn't pick this specific oh this um, was it
0: so why why john why john
1: um i really enjoy the way that he looks at uh relationships in terms of how we relate to the like to the root uh nature of of like looking at the world so he's he really crystallizes the, the meta relationships that that we are part of and to the point where i can i find myself better able to articulate um, the things that are happening around me to the people that i'm talking to and at the same time i just think like from an observer standpoint i think his his research is really interesting and his books are are fascinating so to me i follow him for that you know it's just it's a data point in the big web of of knowledge uh, that I'm always trying to unpack and and bring forward in a distilled fashion to either clients or my team or myself.
0: Hmm. And then the um, other account you wanted to flag was Simon Schuster, and he can be followed at at Shoestry, which is S-H-U-S-T-R-Y. He is a writer and reporter for Time. He's based in New York, but he covers Moscow, Kiev, Berlin, lots of things like that. His accounts of what's happening in ukraine are absolutely fascinating but tell me a bit more about why you um recommend following him
1: oh i just well he's a classmate of mine from years past um, and and i i and also happens to be a a really excellent uh, reporter and so i've been following him specifically around this ukraine war mostly because i'm from ukraine and so um he really i think encapsulates the what's truly happening on the ground in a, in a really well-researched way um mm. and i i enjoy the way his retweets as well because he retweets a lot of uh, reporters and other on other news that i find valuable um and i think you know his long-form journalism is just it's so, such a rarity these days to have like just well-researched well-informed like journalism period that i just am a very uh find myself very thirsty for things like that so i do i follow him for that
0: Yeah, Yeah. he's definitely got a tone and a a way of writing for sure, Mm -hmm. things that I read from him, so yeah. Um, okay that is a wrap on episode Ooh. 11 of season four. My thanks to Rima uh, for making workplace culture clearer, giving a lot of food for thought in d- different areas. Uh, it's not an easy area and it's one that I definitely wanted to cover um, and I think it's going to be critical for brands of the future, certainly. Um, you can find out more about Rimmer and Dialogue over at in-dialogue.co. That's in-dialogue.co. Uh, and make sure you check out the killer 10 by 20 interview series that Rimmer hosts. There are some brilliant experts um, from the likes of Pelotons, to new organizations they each get 10 questions over 20 minutes on a wide range of fascinating subjects there's over 20 of them they're really really good um Rima, before i let you go any final words of advice for um the listeners
1: um no i mean just stay present
0: hey, that's don't. a good one i like mm-hmm. that i like that <laughs> staying present or being present i think is easy for people to do but actually when you think about it and doing it it's easy you know it might be mindfulness it might be uh meditation it can be anything but it's one of those things where if you don't sort of focus on it you lose it don't you so take it while you get it if that makes sense i think that's a very good point um but yeah um okay look up next on mouthwash is alexandra samuel uh she is an expert on remote work and digital workplace and the workforce she's a speaker data journalist she's a co-author of a book out uh, recently called remote inc how to thrive at work wherever that is um she's got the real deal on remote working and where it's really going i urge you to tune in she's absolutely uh, ridiculously smart and i'm so pleased that i got her um if you head over to mouthwash.norby.live you'll get a text so you never miss a minute it's very very simple mouthwash We're produced by Suze and the big team at Big Tent Media. Use them for all your audio needs. Can't talk about them highly enough. As always, everything Mouthwash, even the text alerts, find them over at mouthwashshow.com. That's mouthwashshow.com, all one word. I'm a firm believer that you do not remember the days, we remember the moments, and I hope this has been one for you. I am Paul Armstrong. This is Mouthwash. Listening again soon for more fresh chat that leaves you more confident. Thanks for listening to Mouthwash. Please share it in a network you trust and check out our sponsors season four of mouthwash was sponsored by workplace by meta the easy to use features at workplace help people work together in new ways to make your place of work a great place to work visit workplace.com forward slash human that's workplace.com forward slash human have a great day